This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategy, and you may have guessed it, they're Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the latest episode of the Friends in Benefits podcast with myself, Jade Burke, Deputy Editor of Reward Strategy. Today with me, we have Katie Sharp, the Head of UK Payroll at Mazars in the UK. Now, the audit tax and advisory services firm is well-versed in all things pay and reward, as its payroll team recently received a prestigious accolade for its efforts, which we'll be delving into very shortly. But to kick off, I'd like to welcome Katie. So thank you so much for taking part in the latest episode. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Very excited to be here, Jade. Oh, good stuff. It's always great to hear. So I wanted to kick off with asking how you came to work in the world of payroll. What what drew you to this industry? Well, I am actually one of the few people that can say they didn't fall into payroll or, or drop into it by accident. I did actually choose a career in payroll at the age of 18. I loved maths, was really good at maths, and I loved working with pe- people in some of my summer holidays jobs. But my dad was an accountant and I knew that I didn't want to be working with those big um, manual spreadsheets and bits of paper he had at home. So we had a discussion and I had got a trainee position in payroll and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. That's quite interesting because so many people do say they fell into payroll, don't they? um... (laughs) That's all I ever hear. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So what about your role at the moment at Mazars? Like has accountancy and advisory services always been a bit of a passion for you? I wouldn't say it was a passion. I don't know if many people would say it's a passion, but it certainly is now where my heart lies in terms of my career. Most of my payroll career has been in uh, the outsourcing world, a couple of stints in-house, but mostly um, in outsourcing. And that's where I started my trainee position as well. And then more recently, in my last two roles, they have been in that outsourcing bureau within an accountancy firm. And I just really love the client service that is expected and maintained when you're part of an accountancy practice. It's literally the highest priority in terms of looking after your clients and having a really personal relationship with all of them as well. So very much where my heart lies and I see my career staying for a very long time. That's great to hear. And I know you've worked in different sectors as well. I think publishing is one of those. So do you think or have you found that payroll has differed within different sectors or is it all largely the same? No, absolutely not. I find it very different. So, yes, um, one of my main one of uh, two roles that I had in-house actually was in the publishing sector. And there was lots that I really loved as part of that role, such as their work outings and work socials were really out of this world compared to some of what happens when you're in a bureau. But in terms of the industry, I now think that the payroll industry has almost got two subcultures, two sub industries, one being the in-house section and one being that outsourcing section of whether you fall into a big commercial bureau or an accountancy bureau um, or something of a smaller outfit but the priorities are just so different the deadlines are different I personally think that it takes entirely different skill sets to be successful in one or the other and now payroll professionals certainly can't be across all of them I think that 
you find true success is when you find which which avenue is for you right okay that makes sense so yeah how I guess different sectors are so different in 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 the overall sort of grand scheme of things isn't it in terms of payroll yeah it's very very interesting to hear and I guess I'm sure lots of our viewers will be interested to hear I guess how your day-to-day sort of varies and what it consists of wow that that, it can be so so different which is what I love really love about my role so as head of UK payroll services at Mazars I am responsible um, for all of the team members so we've got 60 people in our team so if they have if they need any help with a complex case um, some some legislation or something unique on a client I could find myself contributing in that scenario it could be training or mentoring those team members which is a huge passion of mine as well because the future of this industry and their careers is really important I'm also responsible for business development so I could be on uh, pitch calls with new potential clients um, and thinking of different strategies to, to continue to grow our business as we have done um, all of these years. And then on top of that, my contribution to the firm even wider. I'm part of things such as the Social Mobility Committee at Mazars, the Inclusion and Diversity Strategies. So I could be on any of those meetings at any time, but every every day is very different, which keeps it exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet keeps you on your toes and keeps you busy. And it's nice to have a varied sort of role, isn't it? It is. It is. I think that's what keeps it challenging. Nobody nobody doesn't like a challenge, do they? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess because of sort of the, the career you've had, it's, it's very seasoned and you, you've seen lots of things, I guess, change throughout that time. So I want to get your thoughts on how the role of the payroller has actually evolved. And I guess particularly now we're returning back to some form of normality, you know, with restrictions easing. So would you say maybe that they do take on more responsibilities, such as things like financial well-being or, you know, what have you noticed? Yes, yeah, certainly since I started my career back back in the day, back then it was everything was very manual, took up lots of time for really simple tasks and kind of where that view of payroll being just administrative and pushing buttons came from. But this last 10 years, the evolution of the technology and payroll, on-demand aspects, automation in systems has really changed what a payroll professional's role looks like. And for me now, one of the biggest aspects is really in terms of advisory. And that is whether you're in-house or in outsourcing. You now need to be able to contribute into a wider conversation, the strategy for your business, the plans for different teams. And, and, and financial well-being is a huge part of that. Employees, it's no longer enough. And it shouldn't be enough. I certainly agree with it. It's no longer enough to just deliver the accurate payslip. What further value are you adding to their life cycle as an employee? How are you helping in terms of savings, pensions? All of the different aspects that really wind up in that final output of the payslip, you really need to build up to that to put in in the value. So I do think it's evolved. I think the pandemic might have delayed slightly that evolution, in my opinion, because payroll professionals were then literally triple the workload, completing all of the furlough schemes. So any strategies anything that was a really modern step forward was kind of put on hold whilst we were just doing the do to keep people paid and keep the UK running. 
but I, I've certainly seen this last six months a real passion, people really diving back onto their strategies around what they will move forward as we've moved away and out of furlough. And that has really changed what people are a part of. So you're contributing a lot more to the wider strategy for the business and for employees and employees expect a lot more. So I think it delayed it slightly, but I think we were already on that path to being a lot more advisory in our roles. Yeah, for sure. I think, like you were saying there, there's so many strings to a payroller's bow in a way. Yeah. because of all the things that they take on and and that they offer like like you mentioned like pension savings and, and paying people so there there is so much to it for sure agreed and um i mentioned this in the opening that last year mazars received the payroll team of the year accolade which obviously congratulations that's fantastic news so um, i want to ask you why you think awards like this are important to recognize payroll teams i think it's hugely important for two aspects one historically not so much recently in my opinion but historically payroll was kind of the inferior cousin of the the financial service lines and 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 HR and payroll would always be reporting into one or the other it would never be a a team or a function in its own right and it wouldn't certainly wouldn't have a seat at the top table so I think awards accolades what they're doing is really raising the profession to where we where we are um but it's raising it for everybody else so it's shining that light for everyone outside of the profession we know where we stand we know the contribution that we make and our our own importance but it's important for us to bring in that shining light for everyone else to see so that would be the first aspect for me the second aspect for me that award although i was the one on the night going and 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 getting that award And people will have seen various pictures of me with the award. But although that was me, that was very much on behalf of all of the team at Mazars, each and every one of them, everything that they've achieved is astounding. And I think that that's important for teams to remember what it means when you receive those awards, the the joy it brings and and also the recognition of, of what you're doing rather than just trudging through and making it through each period actually going and, and grabbing that recognition and, and really shouting from the rooftops for, for your for yourselves as well so I think that that's important too. Yeah I couldn't agree with you more it's, it's so vital that individual teams and any business get that recognition and like you say for, for payroll in particular it's huge for sure and, and I guess on that note do you think that payroll gets enough support and recognition and what do you think could be done to change this is is it something that has to come from the top of the company is it, is it down to leadership or is it a bit more internally in terms of every sort of team has to play their part oh i might i might be a little bit controversial here jade because in my opinion it is for the payroll professionals themselves to demand that recognition and and to shine light on our own industry rather than waiting for others outside of the industry to do so. And I think there was lots of conversations coming out of the pandemic of will the payroll industry be able to retain all of the recognition that it received during the pandemic, such as obviously we received key worker status. Um, I don't think any payroll professional certainly that not that I'm aware of was furloughed at all because obviously our workload was tripled and we were so vital to the running of the UK and and keeping things moving 
I think it's down to us to keep to keep that recognition going and, and to kind of demand that seat at the table. It's for us to educate and make others aware of what we do, what we contribute to. And if you're in a position where actually you can't contribute and there's not much strategic going on and, and you don't feel, then then that's probably for those people to decide, right, is this right? Because I'm not getting the re- right recognition. Do I need to consider something else? Or actually, is there more that I could be doing rather than waiting for somebody to realise my workload or, or my contribution? Is there something else that I could be doing? I've always personally been really outspoken about the payroll industry and how needed how important our contribution is and how we should always have a seat at the table. And I've always then found that that then carries over into the roles that I take on and benefits my teams in terms of their recognition as well. So I really do believe that it is for the payroll industry, for us to to keep going with that and to make sure that we're getting that seat at the table. No, that makes sense. And not controversial at all. I think it's, it's really worthwhile that everyone sort of champions themselves isn't it so it's, it's so important agreed and I guess that does lead on nicely to my next question because I wanted to ask you whether there are any challenges that could be holding back payrollers and the profession in particular I guess in terms of really championing themselves I suppose obviously leading on from my previous answer historically there might be some people in the industry that are still feeling the way that previously they were treated or others were treated as being part of that payroll industry and that can be hard to shake off almost that chip on the shoulder and then that that vibe can continue and it's really important that we just not not don't keep looking backwards about what happened before but actually the future of this industry how we attract the next set of payroll professionals those generations into this industry how we keep steaming forward with new evolutions to payroll technology so I think that that might be an aspect in that we don't hold ourselves back by looking backwards rather than forwards I do think as well sometimes in terms of payroll technology whilst there are so many fantastic ideas and and things that could happen to not only benefit the payroll industry, but also employees, employers, the HR function, the finance function as part of that technology. I think sometimes this idea of the system is great, and then you need the system people to build that. But I think it's important that the payroll profession maintains a huge part of that evolution, because otherwise it it won't always work and we found that previously in the industry somebody fantastic and super clever will build a piece of kit but actually it doesn't quite do what you need it to do for the director's national insurance threshold or it doesn't quite meet the needs of that auto enrollment compliance aspect but it's got this huge fancy piece of automation over here so i think that it's really important that the evolution of payroll technology still that payroll professional themselves play a huge part in that so that it can continue to to move forward at pace most definitely so before we get katie's thoughts on the delay to the employment bill we're going to take a quick ad break hi there it's kitty wood here reporting for reward strategy i just want to let you know that the reward and payroll summit is returning for 2022 
taking place on the 17th of November at the Hilton London Bankside. On the day, topics that will be discussed include whether the reward offering has become too niche, the future of work and the four-day work week, pay transparency and equal pay, as well as financial well-being in the workplace. Some fantastic speakers will also be appearing from brands such as Sony and IKEA. You can find the full agenda online. We hope to see you there, but for now, let's get back to listening to Friends in Benefits. And we're back after that quick break. So I mentioned, Katie, before the break, we're going to discuss the employment bill and that it has been delayed once again. And I believe that there were expected changes to statutory sick pay and maternity and paternity leave that were set to come forward as part of the employment bill. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is a really big step back for workers? And and I guess, how will it really impact them? I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a step backwards, but the stalling and, and, and the delay is certainly a really, really big downfall, I believe. Whilst I do really understand that this last few years, I imagine the government have been ridiculously busy and HMRC themselves must be, I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. So I, I have a lot of empathy for the reasons potentially behind that, but the impact to the workers on the ground enabling this country to to keep being more modern in how we treat the average worker, I think I think it's huge. And I think that there's Every every month we see a new example of what this delay has caused. For example, more recently, everybody saw what happened to the workers at P&O on the ferry, on the ferries. And that really would have been something that could have been mitigated, that risk of that happening. And it just really kind of tells, I think, obviously, most employers in this country are they really want to do best by their employees and they want to treat them as they should but there we have to acknowledge that there are some employers that don't feel that way and by allowing this to continue we're not protecting those workers and it's often in areas that are potentially more of a deprived area and so the work has to be accepted because there aren't any other options and it's just really really risking our opportunity to keep moving forward as a country so Whilst I empathise that I imagine there's lots going on, I I think it's really important that the delay doesn't go on much further. And this is really, really one of the biggest priorities for the coming um, six to 12 months to get this in. Yeah, for sure. I think time will certainly tell, won't it, in in the, the next year, for example. So we will have to wait and see. Yeah, agreed. And on another note, the government has decided not to make ethnicity pay gap reporting mandatory. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that is a wise decision? Should it be introduced? Should it not be introduced? Um, so two aspects to that thought. I do think it's it should be introduced. And I think it's disappointing that that, that certainly was a step back because we were on a path to um, having that reporting. And now it, it's gone backwards. So I do think that's disappointing and I do think that there should be that reporting in place. Obviously, it's not currently mandatory for employees to report their ethnicity to their employer, which does make it difficult to actually complete the reporting. But I think that the reporting is really important for this country to move forward as an inclusive and diverse 
country to work in. And I, yeah, I think it's super disappointed. However, we've seen we've had gender pay gap reporting for several years now. And although that's mandatory for a certain threshold of employers, I can't say that I've seen much activity come on the back, coming out of the back of that data. So if we've had gender pay gap reporting for many years and really not much is being done where employers have a really bad score or there's really no push to improve it across the country or across certain industries, it's almost like, well, why add another set of reporting when we're not really creating much activity around the reporting we have already? So in my opinion, it's disappointing. It is needed, but we need to look at actions. It can't just be lots of reports and then nothing coming out the other side. Definitely. I think it's really, really interesting and seeing how, I guess, different companies are going about reporting on it and how they're doing so. And I guess what will happen in the next 12 months, for example, as well, will be interesting to see. Um, and like you say, perhaps more action is really needed and it isn't just a case of reporting on, on simple sort of numbers. Yeah. More needs to be done. Yeah, agree. And on that note, still, um, I think it's when I've spoken to various sort of pay and reward leaders throughout throughout the last sort of year, I guess, many have shared that data is the main issue when it comes to reporting on the ethnicity pay gap, because you can't force staff to disclose their ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, do you think there are any other hurdles that employers could face if they do drill down into this data? No, I really think I do think data is the biggest hurdle obviously some employers will largely you know before you complete the reporting if you are going to have a problem and what we well your HR and payroll teams certainly will will be able to cast an idea so some companies will probably be thinking well we know we have a problem and one of the biggest things that came out of the gender pay gap initial results was companies were very concerned that that first bad result would then impact their ability to retain and recruit talent in the coming 12 months. And so people were against it if they could already predict that their score wasn't going to be fantastic. So I imagine that that's quite a similar scenario in this regard as well. But I think it's important that employers remember that although the first result might be a problem if you predict that it's going to be bad then obviously you can start to act on it before you've even had that first mandatory result same with the gender pay gap but it's I always deemed it especially when we looked at gender pay gap not the first set of results but the second set I thought that that was really important where companies that had had not a great result the first time but then you could see their result was way more improved the second time that that speaks to me of an employer that's trying really hard to change things so I don't think that employers should see that as a hurdle but certainly data in the first scenario however if a really good communication project was undertaken to explain to employees why that data was needed and and the benefits coming out and and the results I'm sure that it would become less of a hurdle because employees would be more willing to engage yeah, that makes sense, definitely. And is this something that Mazars would consider reporting on or have you discussed it for the future, perhaps? Well, there's obviously two streams there because I'm obviously an employee 
of Mazars um, and are not involved actually with their their own Mazars payroll and HR stream. I oversee the UK payroll services, so on behalf of clients. Um, and Mazars, we are completely committed to lots around our inclusion and diversity. So certainly on a path that should it become mandatory in the future, it's something that we would certainly engage with. But we're already extremely engaged on our inclusion and diversity policies. That's something we've been working I've been with Mazars for two years and it's been a hot topic every month. We speak about it nationally. We speak about it within departments. There's lots of processes and action points that we always look to take part. But aside from just around the ethnicity reporting, there's lots of other aspects of inclusion and diversity that we're really passionate about as a firm around disability, social mobility, the LGBTQ plus community and everybody else as well. I know you've mentioned in terms of your diversity and inclusion strategy there, but is there anything else in particular that Mazars is doing that you wanted to touch on? I think for us and this, whenever I'm networking, it's something that people take away when we speak about it. It's something that people take away um, and start to maybe put in place and consider themselves. Something that our firm really benefits from is each of our committees and networks. We have lots dedicated to various different areas. So we have um, a families network. We have different religious networks, lots of committees such as the ones that I've already mentioned. I myself am on the social mobility committee. And um, I think that that's really important. And, and we continue to add to the networks and committees that we have because inclusion is so wide. There's so many, everybody's so unique and so different. It's really important that you acknowledge that. And whilst you treat people equally, you have to respect people as individuals. So, yeah, that's something that I love about Mazars and is really important to us is um, all of our different networks and committees and, and our time that we dedicate to them across all service streams. Fantastic. And I guess then for payroll itself, what role does that profession have within diversity and inclusion? How can it really drive it forward or, you know, what more could be done? Yeah, I think... There's really obvious items such as obviously your recruitment should always be inclusive and diverse. And that's something that is really important to consider across any um, type of person or, or community of person. So it's always important to make sure that the, the teams and everybody involved in recruitment is highly trained to ensure that they are inclusive and diverse when they approach that. So the payroll definitely take part in that. I know I've mentioned it so many times, but it's something that's hugely, hugely important to me because of my own background. But I really think that payroll has got an opportunity in terms of social mobility. There are lots of young people out there that are from areas where potentially they might not be able to consider a career. They might not be able to afford university. Um, they might not it might just not be something that's been discussed with them around working in a top 10 firm or being a senior payroll manager within a really big commercial business. So I think it's important that the payroll industry continues to acknowledge and, and really reach out and make sure that we are bringing in our next generation of payroll professionals from a wide wide range of streams and ensuring that we're not missing out any um whether it's postcode areas or whether it's certain communities of people that at 
as a function across the UK, we're continuing to make sure because by bringing in that diverse range of the next generation, what it adds to you as an industry, it's 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 limitless. It just brings in the, the variety of skill set, the different personalities, the different cultures. It really, really benefits us as an industry to continue to really cast that net as wide as we possibly can. And I think payroll can certainly continue to do that. So rather than always trying to replace like for like, if you've lost a senior admin for whatever reason, potentially considering bringing in a school leaver or a mum returning to work or somebody choosing to change their career for whatever reason is hugely beneficial. Yeah and I like what you said there in terms of it being limitless. That's, I think that's really like poignant in terms of how DNI can really improve a business and and the people you're getting through your door in particular. Yeah definitely yeah it's really really important. Yeah and I guess that's even more crucial at the moment, I guess, with the great resignation and because employers are really struggling to get new recruits through their doors and, and retain their talent. So if you're working on initiatives like that, surely that can really attract those that talent that you need. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and it's twofold. You're essentially not only are you bringing in the resource that you need, but you're also growing your own talent and adding to your industry by bringing in and creating that next generation. So and it's remembering that you probably won't find these people just by advertising on LinkedIn. You need to do a little bit more work because unless their parents see it or someone's partner um, sees the ad, they might not be on LinkedIn right now. So it's it's also thinking about your diverse recruitment. How can you how can you be a bit wider with that and, and finding these people? So, yeah, I think I think that right now bringing in your own talent and, and honestly, the new generations, the, the their ability to pick up technology. It used to take months and months and months to train people up. I myself am really not fantastic at picking up new technology quite quickly. But the generations these days, I know that my teenage daughter, she could pick up any app and 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 really she never needs a manual. She just knows exactly what to do with it immediately. And that translates into new technology, payroll technology, finance technology. They can, they can pick it up so quick because they're so inquisitive. So I think it's really beneficial to just consider a little bit more training and growing your own talent. Absolutely. And yeah, I like what you're saying there in terms of the uh, the tech, because I mean, there's so much new stuff all the time. So it's it's amazing how people do keep up with it. <laughs> it really is. I get scared when Instagram release an update, not, not sure what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Um, and something we like to ask all of our podcast interviewees is what would you be doing if you weren't in the profession you're currently in? So I guess for you, it'd be the payroll profession. I would. I don't know if I would probably be in it, but it has always been a dream of mine. I would love to be a florist. So I think I would have pursued that at some point. I think that it seems like a really it probably isn't. But to me, it seems like quite a calm job the smell of lovely flowers creating really beautiful work and and people's happiness when they receive it so I think I would I would have been a florist that was actually my sort of dream job when I was uh young at school but unfortunately I get terrible hay fever so I just couldn't do it (laughs) maybe it's a good idea you didn't pursue that I know (laughs) but without doubt I think it sounds like a lovely lovely role to pursue doesn't it 
But that is all we've got time for, Katie, I'm afraid. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. And thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have. Thank you so much for asking me. No problem at all. You're very welcome. So remember, everyone, we'll be back with another Friends in Benefits very, very soon. But in the meantime, you can listen to some of the past episodes featuring brands such as Virgin Money, Royal Opera House and Betty's and Taylor's online. Thank you for listening.